Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome into an all new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, the horrific story from this past weekend that literally points to America's infatuation with guns. Nick and I on this horrible mass shooting that happened in Cleveland, Texas. Plus, later on the show, NPR politics reporter Deepa Shivram stops by. She's going to break down the debt ceiling battle and President Biden announcing his re-election bid for 2024. And in our final segment... What does failure mean to you? An athlete's response last week to a reporter makes you question your life's path. More on that later on the show. Um, Nick, how how have you been? Uh, What's going on your way? What's what's been uh, consuming you over the last couple of days here? Because the news sometimes, you know, we've talked about this before. People always ask us, like, how do you guys come up with stuff? And like, how do you plot things out and this and that? And there is a process to it, right? Um, Not as unsimilar as to what the news networks have to do because they got more time to fill. We got one once a week to fill, maybe twice a week to fill content wise. And um, I saw something that came across the scroll about a football player's uh, little daughter dying in a pool axe. I I was just like, I got to, I got to break away. And then in 15 minutes, I got to record with Nick and ask Nick how he's doing. How you doing, buddy? What, what's going on your way, man? What, what you been up to? Talk to me. I'm good. You know, obviously without giving, away too much um got some more exciting stuff coming on at leon media network so i've been in the lab with some colleagues of mine doing some really incredible stuff so my my microphone's been on fire lately uh so it's been exciting to do it so i'm excited to come back to the podcasting space with you you know right now uh but uh yeah your guy's been doing some stuff well you know obviously this is for the fans um so we're excited about some stuff coming up, coming coming up soon. Actually, uh, yeah, what you're speaking to is probably top of mind for me, which is um, Shaq Barrett of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His daughter, uh, two years old, um, had died or drowned in um, the swimming pool in the home. There's more to the story coming in. You know, at surface level, my wife obviously being a physician specializing in pediatrics, the first thought that comes to your mind is. Um, did she just slip out of the house, just, you know, walk right into the pool, you know, at that age, um, children really don't know, you know, about swimming and, um, you know, they really underestimate what they're able to do. But there, I mean, again, there's, I'm not going to try to play detective as to what happened. All we know, the facts are, that's what we focus on, on. Can we please talk is, you know, the age we know where the pool is located. Uh, and we know 
the story because this is a player of a uh, this is a player for a team in the National Football League. Um, you know, as a parent to a three-year-old, you know, my youngest, um, I'm reminded of you know this past year we were down in Florida. Well, actually, last year we were, we were down at Disney World um, in December of 2022, and I remember my wife and I both finding out that there was a pool at the premises where we were staying and we were both very much my wife more so than me actually constantly monitoring the locking system and you know at some point the locking system didn't seem actually um completely properly installed like it just seemed like just rickety and could easily not sustain weight bearing pressure uh, and we actually called the landlord of the building we were renting um or the place we were renting to have someone for maintenance fix it um, because unfortunately my wife in her field has seen too many times where children just can put their head under and it, as she'll tell me, it's not even 30 seconds before something tragic can happen. Um, and I was sadly reminded of that today. So yeah, I come on this show with a heavy heart uh, as another parent like you of, of little ones. Um, there is nothing. And sadly, this also connects to one of our obviously top stories here. Um, there are a few things more haunting to read about or to consider than the fact that you, as a parent bearing your child. Um, so my thoughts are, are with the team, with the team as they're trying to support um, Shaq at a, a horrifying time for him and his family right now. And again, it's, this is the thing about being a parent, man, like before you have kids, you hear this stuff. And on a, on a certain level, you're like, Oh, that's tough. Right. Like you said with that, but then yeah. you have little ones of your own and it's, it's the kind of thing where you, you forget to breathe for a minute because you're just like, Ooh. Yeah. You know, I have the same thing going on where we, we put our, our, both of our girls in swimming lessons. Again, the youngest one is about 17, 18 months, but um, it, it is, it, it, I saw that story as we were about to start recording today and knowing, you know, what that feeds into uh, what we're going to get into what happened in Cleveland, Texas with this awful, um, shooting that happened uh, and why potentially maybe it's not getting as much coverage as it should be. Um, I just saw that story come across about Shaq and, and the daughter. And it just like, again, as having somebody that's under the age of two right now, that's running everywhere. And, you know, we have a pool at my mother-in-law's house. It's like, it's, it's one of the fears. It, it truly is. Like, I don't think there's anything more scary to a parent than that. Right. When your little one does start uh, walking instead of crawling and now you know that there's like either no fencing around the pool or you happen to have a pool. Um, it's, it's the biggest fear, man. Like it literally keeps me up because remember babysitting, you're not there. And we don't know the stories. Like you said, more details are coming out. I'm not even sure if he was home or not. We still don't know any of this. So more is going to come out about that story. We're going to talk about more of that um, as it unfolds, but you know, it's, it's terrible. My, my thoughts are with him and his family, man. Um, Thoughts are with another family uh, from Texas. If you didn't hear about this horrific story that happened in Cleveland, Texas, and I can't think of a more prime example why I see some of these comments on Twitter about people kill people. Guns don't kill people. No story embodies the stupidity of that sentence than this story. If you didn't hear about this, the suspect, Francisco Oropesa, is how you say his name in Spanish, 38 years old, lived in this town in Cleveland, Texas, I guess was friends with the next door neighbor. The neighbors uh, asked him to please stop shooting his AR-15 semi-automatic rifle outside of his home. What he was shooting it at, who knows, but they had asked him around 11.30 p.m. Friday night if he could stop because their baby couldn't sleep. He yelled back that he can do whatever he wants in his front yard. And that led to him actually going to the house and killing five people in the house. Now, there's been a bunch of different details that have gone all over the place about how many people were actually living in the house. Looks like there may have been 10 plus folks living in that house. He killed five. Authorities found two females draped over some of the kids as they were safe those kids that were underneath the women who had died the five uh the five people killed in this excuse me were sonia argentina guzman diana velasquez alvarado uh, julissa molina rivera jose jonathan 
Cesares, and Daniel Enrique Lasso. He's the youngest at eight years old. Jose was 18. The other ones were 31, 21, and 25, respectively. Take a listen to the local uh, ABC affiliate in the coverage of this horrific story. Developing overnight, police getting help from the FBI in the urgent manhunt for a suspect who authorities say killed five of his neighbors. He's now considered armed and dangerous. And police say it all started after the neighbors asked the suspect to stop shooting his gun in the yard because a baby was trying to sleep. But instead, the sheriff says the gunman went into their house and started shooting them. The attack in Cleveland, Texas, one of 176 mass shootings in this country in just the first 120 days of this year. You just heard that statistic. Every time we come on here, we read a stat from the Gun Violence Archive about how many mass shootings have happened this year. And again, another person that, again, according to neighbors, according to news outlet reports, um, didn't seem to have any issues. Um, he never ha had any trouble. He worked in the local town. Uh, there was a NBC News affiliate that was interviewing one of the neighbors, and the neighbor had said that the they would all hang out together. Like the houses were all like kind of near each other. It's a really small community, about forty five minutes outside of Houston, uh, northeast of Houston, and. Everyone knew each other. So this guy was never, you know, an issue. And there is some talk of maybe that alcohol played a role in this. Um, I mentioned at the top of the program about Governor Greg Abbott um, saying something on Twitter. I want to read it here because you heard a little bit there, or maybe you didn't, but the, the five people that were killed were all from Honduras, the 10 people that were living in the house total. And Governor Abbott decided to tweet something out that I think is incredibly insensitive. And I say this as a Latino, and I say this as somebody that knows the way the coverage of people that look like me, sound like me, maybe even have last names that are pronounced properly like mine should be. And it kind of ticked me off as we were about to come on and start recording here. And the tweet was, I've announced a $50,000 reward for info on the criminal who killed five illegal immigrants Friday. Now, if you're not pissed off at that sentence structure right there, you, you are part of the problem. Like you are part of the problem. Like if you if you choose to listen to that sentence right there, I'm not even going to read the rest of the statement because I think it's incredibly terrible. Like to start a sentence like that, you, you everyone that has learned AP style writing knows that you can read the first sentence of each paragraph and you're supposed to get the gist of the entire article. If I read that first sentence right there, what would be my takeaway about this story? Everything now is lost because I'm supposed to feel a certain way or this speaks to a certain audience that cares about illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants or doesn't. So I thought the governor was incredibly insensitive at best in that. But again, some of his policies in terms of making it easier to have access to a weapon, getting rid of. Uh, open carry and showing your permit, not getting rid of open carry, like not, not uh, permitless carry, excuse me. Um, so he's done some things that have contributed to the amount of shootings and, and the access to weapons in his state, right? And then a callous tweet like that after all of this um, is something that just set me off today. Um, as we're recording this, so as you're hearing this, it may be dated, but there's a massive manhunt for this guy right now, the FBI, uh, ATF, uh, Texas Public Safety Department, local law enforcement, everyone, they're searching on horseback, neighbors, houses, everywhere. Authorities say the deputies were called to the home in reference to a harassment complaint recently as well. So uh, about 200 or so law enforcement officials are now involved in this search that is still happening as we're recording this again could be dated. He may have been caught at this point. Who knows where this guy is? But again, the access to an AR-15 and for the people out there that listen to this, that don't think that guns are playing an issue in all of this. I want to read you a tweet, Nick, before I get your thoughts on all this. Somebody tweeted this out and I just thought it was so good. Last night, a family asked their neighbor to be quiet because their baby was sleeping. Take away the guns and all you have is an asshole neighbor. 
You allow the guns and a family is massacred. Explain to me how guns aren't the problem. Nick, man, it's another circle, dude. And and again, these are not that it shouldn't matter what these people look like, sound like, last names, whatever. White, black, Hispanic, who cares? Like gun violence is gun violence. Mass shootings. We, we want to do something about this. Like we keep talking around in circles. But here we are. The governor of the state, callous, you know, wording of a statement. Right. Uh, thoughts and prayers. Right. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, by the way, they were illegal. In case you were wondering, what are some of your takeaways about the shooting, this manhunt that's unfolding? And then even what I just read there in that tweet in terms of how apropos it is, how, how factual it is. Again, th- th- literally 1130 at night, mundane activity. Hey, do you mind keeping it down? And, and again, it looks like the, the shooter is Hispanic. So I'm assuming he's in Spanish. Who, who cares if, you know, if they got a little argumentative or what? It's 1130 at night. Do you mind not shooting your AR-15 out in my backyard? What do you? What do you? What are your, some of your takeaways, man? Well, first, apparently, well, we can go ahead and add. Can't tell your neighbors to keep the noise down to the list of things that can get you shot in America. I'm not at all surprised by Governor Abbott's attempt to to make the victims less than, um, because they don't fit a certain category. Um. It just seems like it's very easy to take away the humanity of people because of a citizenship status matter, uh, which is disgusting. It's it's more Americans that just get mowed down by guns. I'm always conflicted on this because I do believe in the Second Amendment. You know, I, I do believe that people should have have the right to a weapon. I do believe, though, that there should be classifications for weapons similar to vehicles, right? I drive a minivan. I can't drive a truck. I need a certain type of license for that. Certainly seems we could do the same thing with guns, right? Um, I don't know if background checks stop this person. I mean, just purchased the gun legally. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, what is broken in you that someone tells you to to stop making that much noise so that a child can sleep. And your reaction is, well, don't tell me what to do. Uh, and to take it one step further and to murder the people, murder a family because of a dispute like that. So much of this feels like America. Um, and I and I have, I have friends who are critical of me when I say things like that because it's like, oh, what happens in other parts of the world? If you don't like it here, you should go somewhere else. And to those people, I just tell them to go bleep off. Can I real uh, quick? Can yeah, I interject real quick? Because sure. I, I've talked about this with my family in Spain. And, you know, uh, because we, we, my wife and I, we, you know, interests of transparency, we've talked about moving abroad. And obviously, I, I, I have coworkers out in London and Port So I am afforded the opportunity to move you know, with work potentially. And then my friend said, you know, there's violence over there in Europe. I go, yeah, no, I know that. But you know that they don't shoot. Violence there is hand to hand. It's not, I'm going to go get my gun from my car because I have access to it. And then I could go shoot you. It's not, you know, your kid's school, I'm going to go shoot your kid's school up because you pissed me off. It's not like that there. It's just not. It's not. Go look at the data. Go look at stories. It's not like that. I got an email the other day from a parent at my daughter's school that wants to put up more fencing to make it like harder. And so we had this conversation, me and one of the fathers of, of my, um, at my daughter's school, and we we're on the same page. You know, it's, nothing's ever going to change. And what are some things that we could realistically do? And then I said, do you, are you listening to this conversation? Are you listening to the sentence, impact windows, high fence, barbed wire? Are you listening to this? This is what we want to do? Like, this is where we live? Are you, I was like, are you listening? He's like, I know. He's like, I know. I agree. I'm like, but listen to this. How could anybody with a rational mind listen to that and say, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Why aren't you putting barbed wire up? Why aren't you locking the doors? Why aren't you making it stronger? Impact. Like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's one common denominator. This dude's over here shooting it outside of his lawn. Nick, he's not throwing CRT darts and, and, and drag show flyers and ninja stars. He, he, the dude's shooting an AR-15 outside his house. I'm sorry, because it, it's, 
it literally feed fed into a conversation I was having with somebody and they were like, yeah, you're right. Your retort is absolutely spot on. You're right. They don't do that there. I know they don't. Go ahead. Just think about that for a second. What you just said, I, I'm reminded of, um, you know, recently, you know, there was a, uh, it was a call and it ended up being a prank call, but um, for a, a threat, a threat of a shooting at a school, you know, in a nearby school district from where we live. And, you know, we were all of us obviously scared. And I, when I talked to the security guard that day, we talked about ballistics and we talked about what it would take to, to properly equip our school yeah, you mentioned uh, in prevention. Yeah. I remember talking about this on the show and we're talk- like, the numbers are crazy. And what you just said, impact windows, barbed wire, um, the story you read, you know, like 200 members of law enforcement, you know, are out on a manhunt right now to catch this person. Think about this from just a purely economic standpoint. How much money do we direct to these efforts when the answer is simply being more careful about who has access to these types of guns? You can make an argument in accordance to the Second Amendment that if this person just simply had a, you know, a Glock 9 or a 38, is this still going to happen? It might well do so. I mean, the person was drunk. I mean, there's a story of alcohol. There's reports of alcohol in, involved. There still may have been tragedy. But folks, in the news article, I think this is over at uh, NBC News, 15 rounds were let off in that house. 15 rounds from a weapon, from an AR-15. This person was just basically turning that house into Swiss cheese because he has the artillery to freaking do so. Right. A citizen of the United States has access to military-grade weaponry. What the hell are we talking about? It's not that complicated. I can't drive a truck. I need a certain type of license. I can only drive a regular standard commercial vehicle, right? Or just a regular automobile. You need a CDL to drive those things. Why in the hell can't we have specialized licensing for certain weapons? And never forget this and feel free to come at me on our email address at can we please talk podcast at gmail.com at NPZ1978. That's my Twitter handle. Come at me if you want it, if you want this. If this was a matter of people of color walking around with AR-15s, they would have been banned years ago. Now, the shooter in this case was a Latina. It will always be a matter of the fact that this is the kind of weapon and disproportionately white people tend to use these weapons. And we associate that with whiteness in this country that we refuse to, we being Congress, refuse to do anything. Had this been about people of color having these access to these kinds of weapons, this stuff gets shot down, pun intended, a long time ago. I am so glad you said that because, and it funnels into something I'm going to play in a second, but um, it's the reason why I kind of mentioned about the family was from Honduras, uh, obviously the shooter with a Latino sounding last name. And because you saw what Governor Abbott tweets about this, tweeting out, putting illegal immigrants in there now, like to your overall point, oh, well, he just killed illegal immigrants. That's just an illegal immigrant illegal. They shouldn't have been here anyway. And so you're going to get that argument now. And so you're not going to get as much coverage or attention about that. And I'm sure Fox News will throw up a graphic or Newsmax or Orient about how this guy potentially got in here you know, illegally. Go ahead, Mr. Zaray. I know you wanted one more point here. Just real quick. Um, the headline from Fox News, as you said that, read um, in the headline, it was Mexican national. Like, we're doing this now because I mean, this person isn't white. We're going to say in the headline, this person's a Mexican because it then plays into and Mexican national. That's important because we're going to say, or at least some people in the network will argue, well, this person shouldn't have been in this country. We, it's always everything but the guns. Back to you. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, again, somebody who used to write headlines for that website. I mean, (laughs) I mean, the fact that I got that spot on and I had not checked Fox News at all is pretty funny. Um, We keep going around in circles about the shooting shootings in general, mass shootings, school shootings. It doesn't matter. There's one common denominator. I'm sorry. I Nick and I will die on this hill, you know, again, figuratively. Um, but it's true. Like there is one common denominator in all this. There's one through line folks. I'm sorry. If you want to have serious conversations about the other factors that are at play, 
banning alcohol sales, let's say in this example, or anything else nonsensical that doesn't have to deal with the piece of steel and the high capacity to kill people. As Nick mentioned, the small amount of time that he was in that house, the amount of damage that he was able to do with that weapon that he shouldn't have. If you can't see that, this may not be the show for you. I want to transition real quick because we're going to get into our second segment coming up soon with Deepa Shivram, but Roy Wood Jr. had a really funny joke that I want to play here from the White House Correspondents' Dinner about that in terms of gun violence. And it's funny because the White House Correspondents' Dinner, you know, everyone always kind of loses sight of what that dinner is about and giving scholarships out to aspiring journalists. You get all these media outlets that are out there, obviously under President Trump, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I think, kind of ceased for a couple of years there. Um, and it's recently been back, obviously, under the Biden administration, Roy Wood Jr., the comedian over at The Daily Show. He was hosting. He made this wo- this joke. Excuse me. I almost said woke. Uh, he made this joke, uh, a woke joke, if you want. Nick. Um, and I'm going to play a little bit of also some of the other uh, highlights of the night. But take a listen to what he said about gun violence in America. It was a, a pretty good joke. No one laughed in the room. But then he gave them a little twist at the end. Speaking of drag queens. Can, can we stop with the grooming stuff? Can you stop talking about that? Drag queens are not at a school to groom your kids. Stop it. And even if they were, most of them kids gonna get shot at school. It ain't no problem. Don't groom, pass legislation. A billionaire named Harlan Crow. Flying Clarence Thomas all over the world on unreported trips, like an Instagram model, taking Clarence <laughs> to the Maldives and the beaches and all. Pay for his mama's house, this billionaire. Pay for Clarence Thomas' mama's house. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give it up to billionaires. Billionaires, boy, y'all, y'all are relentless. Y'all, y'all always come up with something new to buy. Like, just when you think of everything you could buy on Earth, a billionaire will come up with a new thing. Y'all buy space rockets, you bought Twitter. This man bought a Supreme Court justice. (laughs) Do you understand how rich you have to be to buy a Supreme Court, a black one, on top of that? (laughs) There's only two in stock. Scandals have been devouring careers this year. The untouchable Tucker Carlson is out of a job. Yeah, okay. Some people celebrate it. But to Tucker's staff, I want you to know that I know what you're feeling. I work at The Daily Show, so I too have been blindsided by the sudden departure of the host of a fake news program. The show went on. I highly recommend that you go check out Roy Wood Jr.'s uh, performance there. A lot of good jokes there. A little bit of riffing on on President Biden. He's like, you left your classified docs up here as he was coming up to the podium. I thought that was funny. but you heard that joke, right? In terms of gun violence, and you want to do something about it, you got to stop um, and and pass legislation. Like we we got to work on something here. We got to figure something out here. Um, I'm not going to get into the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but actually, when we come back after the break, somebody who was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, funny enough, NPR's political reporter Deepa Shivram. You can listen to her across all the NPR shows. I'm telling you, I listen to her a lot on the NPR Politics podcast. It's one of my favorite shows. She's the best at breaking down any news topic, and she's covering a lot of this stuff. Last time we had her on the show, she was talking about Roe v. Wade and settled law being sent back to the states. Now she's going to help us break down some other news and notes coming out of D.C. Deepa, when we come back after the break. All right, quick break from the podcast to tell you about the good folks over at Fresh Roasted Coffee, the official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. You know, Nick, I want to do this different, this ad read. You hear the music in the background, but let's tell the people about what we truly like about Fresh Roasted Coffee. I'm going to go first because I love their Colombian Supremo. It's my favorite K-cup. Everybody in my family has been ordering it. It's, it, you can smell it when you're putting it in the K-cup machine. It's just so delicious and refreshing to know that I don't have to go with some of these other brands that are out there, that their coffee just doesn't translate into K-cups for me. And you know I'm a big K-cup guy, and I just, I just love what fresh roasted coffee brings me in the morning. I know I can make my cup of coffee, make my omelet, have my breakfast ready to go. What do you love about fresh roasted coffee, Mr. Mr. Coffee Snob, aficionado? I love the fact that they've turned my 
they've turned my coffee setup into the best coffee shop in town. You know, about a mile down the road from me is a a coffee company known for a particular shade of green, shall we say. I haven't stepped foot in there since you've introduced me to Fresh Roasted Coffee. Love it. They have absolutely, this company, folks, I got to tell you, Fresh Roasted Coffee turned my home into the best coffee shop in town. Now, Mike talked about flavors. I am a vanilla person. Every time I order from Fresh Roasted Coffee, by the way, can we get 20? We'll make sure you say 20% off your first order. When I order vanilla, the hazelnut, coconut. It's my it's my holy trinity of coffee. Respect. <laughs> um, and it never fails. It comes in the box, ready to go. It's the perfect blend of flavor, but also strength. Because when I wake up in the morning, I want a strong cup of coffee. But I also want to get that flavor too. And in a French press, as soon as I push it down, four minutes, of course, let it steep. Just get it right. I'm good to go. And I'm blowing through the coffee. I mean, these... Folks at, at Fresh Rose of Coffee know every few weeks I'm calling in. And if you want to, folks, you can be a subscriber too, like I'm gonna become. Mike, they've <laughs> they've turned my home into the ultimate coffee experience. I can't I can't put it any better than that. I mean, you really can't sum it up better than that. And like Mr. Severi mentioned, you go to freshroastedcoffee.com right now. Not only coffee, they have tea as well. They're positively tea sister brand. But you put all of this stuff, you go onto their site, you take their quiz, you get the coffee, you get the tea, you get the mugs, anything you want. When you get to checkout, enter in the promo code, can we get 20 to get 20% off the delicious coffee. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, here to take us inside the White House Correspondents Dinner. Only one person on this panel was at the White House Correspondents Dinner this past weekend, Nick. And that is Deepa Shivaram over at NPR. She's a politics reporter. Deepa, Mike, and Nick, thanks for hopping back on the podcast with us. Hey, good to be here. So, Deepa, I alluded to it. We were talking about it in our last segment. We played a little bit of Roy Wood uh, and some of the stuff that he said. Uh, you happen to be uh, celebrating some of the festivities over there. Can you take our audience a little bit, j- j- before we get into the heavy stuff here, like what, what is the White House Correspondents Dinner? Like what is the purpose, the intent? It, it feels very um, Oscars party. You see so many different celebrities and obviously all the big news organizations there. Uh, we've never been invited to it. Maybe next year, Nick. Uh, but take us through it, Deepa. What, what was that weekend like for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's an incredible weekend that does um, sometimes the glitz and the glamour you get. The original purpose of the Correspondence Center gets a little bit lost in the shuffle. Um, but you're right. It is uh, an event that is hosted by the White House Correspondence Association. Uh, and that's a group that uh, essentially I was describing this to someone the other day sort of functions as like almost like the negotiating half of the the press corps uh, in the White House kind of relationship. And so uh, WACA, as we call it, is the group that helps coordinate pool coverage. So we have something, right, we're a system where print and wires and radio and TV, we all uh, cover the president's moves on any given day, on any given basis. There's a pool coverage system for the vice president, um, for the first lady, things like that. But it essentially is uh, the 13-person group, oftentimes for the president, that uh, covers his every move. Uh, And that's really important for the rest of the press corps, the rest of the nation. Like That is the group that is delivering uh, the updates on where the president is going, what he's saying. Um, I was the pool reporter last Friday, for example, when he did a DNC event. um, And that was a room in which we were not allowed to record anything. But you know, we had to be in there taking notes in order to share that with the rest of the press corps. So primarily, that's a really big thing that Waka does that's so important. Um, You know, the president hasn't given hasn't done a press conference or, or we haven't really had much access to him. That's something the Correspondents Association was like, you know, finagle and negotiate. Uh, when the president went to Kiev, that was something that uh, correspondents, the WACA president is, is Tamara Keith, a colleague of mine. She had to help coordinate part of that. So it is a very important organization. And amongst all of those important things that WACA does uh, is host the Correspondents Dinner every April. Um, it does fall on my birthday weekend, so I would like to think this is low-key a celebration about me. Just kidding. Um, but it is a really big dinner, and so um, different news organizations will buy tables to it. Um, there are people who fly in you know, from all over the country to attend this dinner, a number of celebrities like you mentioned. And the whole idea is to celebrate the First Amendment. I mean, we are in this room with our sources, with people who work at the White House, people who work across the administration and all over Washington, uh, who come together and, and celebrate the 
for the state, you know, that this democracy that we cover, this country that we live in wouldn't exist without freedom of the press um, and the First Amendment. And that's something that um, for one night, you know, we all kind of put our differences aside and, and sort of are able to come together and celebrate that. Um, I will say, I think a really cool thing about the dinner and, and the association and the work that they do, especially on this night, is that it raises a lot of money um, for scholarship students as well. And so there are a number of um, students who were at the dinner who were uh, who were scholarship recipients this year. And this is also very much a celebration of their hard work and the future of the press corps, which is really cool. Yeah, it was really cool to see. I, I love watching it every year. Nick and I last year played some sound bites uh, from, I think Trevor Noah was hosting last year, but I want to get into the key person that was featured there, uh, not Roy Wood Jr., but the president of the United <laughs> States, because there's an ongoing debt ceiling uh, battle going on. There's There could be people that are listening to this or even watching this on YouTube that say, I don't get this debt ceiling stuff. And I said in the last segment that there is nobody better to explain what's happening in D.C. than Deepa Shivra. All right, Deepa. Oh, God. <laughs> explain, the, explain the debt ceiling to us like we're five. Uh, people have been talking about it in terms of the budget and how America pays their bills. What is happening yes. right now? Some key milestones and dates. Take us through it. Give us the uh, the overview. Yeah, I can try to give you a gist of it. And it is, is so complicated. And it is something that I think, um, you know, even just from my own take in journalism, I, I always look at political coverage and I'm like, God, I really wish we did a better job of explaining what this really meant at its core. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that, because um, it is really confusing and really complicated. And even for someone who's, you know, involved in politics on a daily basis, sometimes I'm like, what is happening? Um, and it's pretty interesting this time around. So essentially, like you mentioned, uh, this whole debate is over how America play, pays our bill at the end of the day. So sometime around this summer, it's estimated we will essentially run out of money uh, to pay for everything that the government pays for. Uh, and, and that's uh, kind of a big problem. And so every single year, Congress is supposed to um, pass uh, a bill that raises, and then of course, President Biden would sign it into law, whoever, whoever the president would be, uh, would say, sign into law to essentially raise the debt ceiling. And that's something that we just push back uh, repeatedly on. The problem is that this year, um, House Republicans, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, are essentially using this moment as a way to negotiate or try to negotiate with the White House um, and say, you know, we want to slash spending. We think the government is spending too much money. Uh, we're going to take this moment of trying to figure out, you know, how to pass the budget and how to raise the debt ceiling and use this as a way to say we should cut programs like SNAP. We should cut some other government benefit programs. We should say that the president's, you know, plan to try to cut down on student debt. Uh, it's too expensive. So they're trying to use this as a way to say, you know what, I think we should cut down on our spending. The problem is that these issues and these programs are really large parts of the president's domestic agenda and Democrats' domestic agenda. Uh, so there's obviously a clash there, not something that everyone can agree on. And right now, as you can tell, we are May 1st, we are inching very close uh, to a moment in which uh, that has not been agreed upon and, and signed. And so there's uh, a lot of, you know, politics going on, a lot of negotiations going on uh, between Republicans and then also, of course, the back and forth between Democrats and Republicans here. Um, so very much, I think the the vibe is a standstill and uh, we are slowly and also rapidly running out of time. Deepa, just a adding to that comment about the debt ceiling, where do you see, and you mentioned a couple of programs that Republicans are looking to potentially cut into, um, where seems to be the biggest points of contention in terms of government spending? Like, does it boil down to just certain, if we are looking at this as a long budget, right? Are there particular line items that seem to be causing the biggest contention between the president and uh, House Republicans? I would say that the president has often, and, and by, you know, reciprocation the the press secretary cringe on pierre has often um you know been standing at the at the podium in the briefing room and saying you know we're not going to negotiate over some of these programs and i think like i mentioned snap but the, these programs that are essentially um republicans are saying we're giving out too much money and democrats are saying like these are bedrock social programs uh that have been a staple in americans lives uh that cannot be cut um, and of course, that definitely impacts how voters vote, you know, wh where they're getting that help from and that boost from. And so uh, I would say I would say the broad answer to your question is is social programs, especially ones um, that help poor Americans, uh, that help a lot of Americans of color, that help immigrant communities. Um, and so I think uh, that is kind of like a blanket statement answer. 
And I think, you know, SNAP is something that has come up uh, often uh, because it is it has been such a critical program for so long for so many people and, and particularly during the pandemic. Staying with the president for a moment, obviously, he's just recently announced that he is running again. Um, and obviously, both political parties will land in the way that they do with the announcement of that. You know, the Pew Center recently released some data that tells us that Congress you know, is skewing is skewing younger in some places and older in some places, specifically the House is getting a little younger and the Senate continues to stabilize leaning older. There's a possibility that the, pre- that the next president or our incumbent president who returns to office will be walking into this in his 80s. The chief nominee or the chief opponent he may have is currently 76, 77 years old. Deepa, with a with a Congress that's getting younger, are you hearing anything of just concerns? And actually, I'll also tag on to this. What's going on with Senator Dianne Feinstein in California, You know, where she is obviously missing votes and then having to step away for medical reasons? Are you getting any sense that there is just a growing concern that our elected representatives are skewing in many places older, whereas our voters continue to start skewing younger, as evidenced by the 2022 election? And are these generations coming to a head potentially at the polls next year? Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak that far ahead to to what's coming to a head, but I think we can look at what we can sort of draw from data, right, and what we can see in polling. Uh, there was a recent NBC News poll that um, said a large majority of Americans are concerned about the president running for a second term. A second term, I think around fifty percent of the people who expressed that sentiment said that age was a big factor uh, for why they see concern. President Biden is the oldest American, is the oldest uh, U.S. president. If he finishes his second term, which the White House has said he will. Uh, now that he's running for re-election, he would end that term at 86 years old. Uh, so that is a lot of concern, I think, from uh, from voters. And you're definitely hearing it, uh, especially like you mentioned, Senator Feinstein. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have covered this, but the uh, couple of lawmakers on, on the Democratic side who have said, uh, yeah, you know, this is Ro Khanna is one of them uh, who has said this. It's time for her to, to step down. Um, that being said, at the same time, you have seen uh, people already kind of throwing their support for President Biden. There's never really been a lot of question uh, from lawmakers, at least, on whether or not they would, um, you know, support uh, his, his announcement. And so um, it is interesting that you bring up the the part about younger voters, because I do think uh, that is something that people are really throwing their attention toward, particularly as younger voters really turned out in 2020, really turned out in 2022. And even, you know, in 2018, that midterm election was hugely influenced by young voters as well. Um, and I think the the sentiment you hear from a lot of younger people is like, he's not my first choice, right? This is not the the candidate they were particularly backing, especially all the way back in 2019 and and 2020. Uh, So in in terms of enthusiasm, that's kind of lacking. And yet, you know, they still show up to support their, you know, their agenda and and the issues they believe in. I remember covering a lot of issues in the midterms and asking younger voters what was on the top of their mind. Student debt was a big one. Marijuana legalization was a big one. And at the same time, if you turn to what the administration would say, they'd be like, yeah, well, look what look what we have done. You know, these are things that we have started to tackle, tried to tackle. Um, And so I think it's We'll have to see in the next, you know, six months, in the next eight months, um, as we inch closer to to primaries and obviously seeing who Republicans end up picking as their nominee, um, how younger voters respond to that. Uh, But I will say, I think, you know, as someone who's a a cusper, as they say, a a Gen Z millennial, like on the line there, uh, I do find it really interesting that despite a lot of concerns from younger voters, despite all of them saying, you know, this might not be my candidate, um, when it comes time to vote, People are in line. People are sending in their ballots. Um, and that is something that's been really extraordinary to watch among young voters in this country. Speaking of young voters, uh, social media, young people love using social media. Recently, that was a bit of a stretch of a segue. Yeah, well, it's not that bad of a segue. A stretch um, of a segue. Also, I always feel like people are like, oh, social media, a young person thing. And I'm like, okay, but all of the boomers are on Facebook, like posting in all caps. Like, you're on social media too. True, true. <laughs> well, that, I'm shifting platforms, though. I'm going to Twitter, though. Hey, listen, the segue Fair. was not bad, both of you. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, as a young guy, uh, Elon Musk is kind of young and he owns the Bird app. And all of a sudden, 
Uh, your boss, uh, the boss of, of NPR, recently said, as you're seeing news organizations being kind of mislabeled by this new uh, color-coded checkmark system that Elon has implemented at Twitter. I'm curious, just for you personally, as you were very avid uh, on Twitter before, that's how we got introduced to each other, obviously. Uh, and I know you've kind of shifted to other platforms in terms of what you're posting content-wise, what you're working on. But what do you make of the reamplification services that Twitter provides, which I talk about here all the time as somebody who's worked in product and technology, an NPR decision to kind of not use it holistically across their shows and, you know, and their sites. But for the journalists, they're saying, hey, if you want to use it, feel free to use it. If you don't, don't. What, what do you make of all of it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, as a reporter, you know, appreciate the ability to to reach people where I need to reach them. Um, and I remain on Twitter, but I think definitely in the last several years have personally um, not used the app as much. And that was even before Elon Musk uh, became the owner. Um, I think it was a mix. I mean, I, I'm really just speaking personally here, but I think it was just a mix of reach. I, you know, once you start using the platform less, I feel like, um, who you're reaching ends up being a smaller impact. Uh, and honestly, like I'm a young woman of color, like you get a lot of, a lot of trolls uh, on, on platforms, not just Twitter, but on all social media. And um, at a certain point, I think particularly after coming, covering the chaos that was the pandemic in the 2020 election, I just needed a little bit more space from, from posting constantly. Um, but it is interesting to work in a newsroom that all of a sudden twitter.com has decided is like government funded and um, needs that kind of a label. It was definitely a really interesting 48 hours is that all of, you know, all, all of that unfolded. Um, and it has sort of definitely started a conversation on like, where, where is our reporting and where is our news going to be most valuable? Um, where is it going to reach, not only reach the most people, but like in an, in an, in a productive way, right? Like we're not just trying to get as many retweets as possible. It's never been about that. Uh, it's more so like, are we connecting with our audience? And at the same time, are we expanding our audience? Um, and so that is definitely a question I think all newsrooms have to answer. Um, but it, I think we have a fantastic team at NPR that's been just leading the charge on this. Um, and that's been kind of interesting to watch as it is definitely ongoing. And, and I think that, um, you know, we'll just have to keep an eye on it and see if other newsrooms end up making similar decisions. You know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the last segment, uh, there's nobody better or nobody, at least that I like listening to explain things to me than Deepa Shivram over at NPR. You can check out some of her work, download or subscribe to the NPR Politics Podcast and other shows that she appears on. Check out her work on NPR.org. Deepa, can't thank you enough for coming on the program. Continue success. Stay safe. You know you're always welcome on the show with us. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. In our final segment here, we're going to talk a little bit about, I teased it at the beginning of the show, but what does failure look like to you? success and failure, right? Um, for a lot of different people, it's it's subjective, right? Um, but hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
for one particular person, this was recently making the headlines over the last couple of days as the NBA playoffs is in full swing. And the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, if you don't know what any of that means, that just means that they had the best record in the Eastern Conference. And they have arguably the best player in the NBA on their team in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis was recently asked by a reporter as the season winded down because they lost four games to one to the Miami Heat. Uh, he was asked about, is the season a failure? And his response took the sports world and even crossover news, everybody examining uh, their career choices and trajectory. And everyone started to really break this down and have this philosophical debate about what is successful versus what is a failure. I'm going to play a little bit of what Giannis said here to the reporter in response. Then Nick and I are going to give our takes. Take a listen to this. You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right. So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never, I don't, know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports about. You don't always win. All right. So a lot to break down there from what Giannis said to this reporter. And you heard a little bit in the clip there. He asked him that question last year because the Bucks were eliminated in the playoffs last year. Uh, they won a championship two years prior. They hadn't won a championship before that in decades, right? As a franchise. Uh, some background and context before Nick and I give our kind of takes on this overarching question about what is success versus what is failure, what defines either. Giannis Antetokounmpo has developed into one of the NBA, if not the game of basketball's best players, right? He's a seven-time All-Star. He's a six-time All-NBA. He's an NBA champion. Like I mentioned, they won the championship a few years ago. He's also uh, won uh, an MVP. Uh, he's won a title. He's been on the All-Rookie team. Uh, he's really blossomed, right? And he's become this, you know, elite athlete scorer, uh, pretty much everything uh, in terms of a must-watch player for the league. And, and one of the top, let's say, 10 players in the league that the NBA has been marketing, not only because, as you heard a little bit of his accent there, obviously he was born in Greece and he speaks Greek. So being able to market a player overseas and somebody that is so talented like him is great, not only for the domestic game, because he plays in a smaller market in Milwaukee, but also for the global game, right? We know how much the NBA does overseas to market their game. Um, so there's a lot in terms of what he's accomplished from a success, success standpoint, just getting himself to become one of the staples of the league, right? Then there's the question about failure. So Nick, we're going to get into this right now. I want to give my takes first because I feel like you and I are maybe going to think the same, and I'm going to explain why in a second. But when I heard this reaction and specifically the clip, a lot of things ran through my head. There was first the journalistic question part of it, right? Then there was the sports part of it, right? Which is, again, highly subjective. We'll get into that in a second. And then there's the overarching question about what do you define as successful? What are the steps to take in terms of failing to become successful, right? So I'm going to break mine down into three parts. The first part is the journalistic part. I, I, a lot of people are saying the question is lazy. I think the question that sports writers struggle with is, I don't know if I want to ask this question, but I know fans would want to ask this question if they were sitting in my position. I've dealt with that before, again, as a sports reporter. I worked at sportsnetwork.com when I first started my career in journalism. Uh, it was the first job I actually had out of college before Fox News, funny enough. And I, I worked as a sports stringer. Um, so I've asked Allen Iverson questions after a loss. Like I've actually done this to NBA players, not asked about success versus failure, but just asked them a question that 
I would want to know as a fan of potentially that team, because I'm representing the voice of the fans out there. So that argument lives in the journalism world in terms of whether or not that question is lazy. He said, you asked me this question last year, Eric. Well, last year you guys got eliminated. This year you got eliminated one round earlier. So I think the question is valid. But like I mentioned before, it's all subjective because a fan, me, if I was a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks, I would say it's a failure, mainly because they had the best record in the Eastern Conference. They had him healthy and then they lose to a team that was struggling to not only make the playoffs, had to win a playing game to get in, but they lost at home. They lost two games at home. Um, so in that sense, maybe it's a failure. Now, let's get into the middle part of this, right, which is the sports part. Uh, it feeds in perfectly because the sports part, uh, the Bucks were not a very good team when Giannis was drafted, right? And typically, if you're not a good team, you're drafting a little bit higher up, right? So you can get somebody that can eventually help your team. Giannis wasn't that player because he was drafted later on, but um, he developed into that player. And now they've started to put some pieces around him where the team started to build up. They made the playoffs. Then they would get bounced in the playoffs. So you guys get experience, right? Nothing better than learning on the fly, right? So you're throwing some players into the deep end. And eventually, uh, two years ago, it culminated in winning a championship. And he was even vocal at the podium saying that this is the way you do it, right? You stay with the team that drafted you, that believed in you, you, you get people to come to your city and then you build this the right way. So everybody that feel good story of two years ago of actually doing it now, two years later, people are asking because they were a favorite again this year, is it a failure because they lost in the first round? Again, putting back the sports fan hat on, you could say it is putting on the sports athlete hat on like Giannis is doing. It's not a failure. He's one of the top 10 players in the world. He averaged 31 points per game this year. That's a really high average. Um, he potentially was in line for a bunch of postseason awards. His team was the number one overall seed and won their division. So obviously in the regular season, they achieved a lot of success. In the postseason, they did not achieve a lot of success. Now we get to the third part, the overarching question, which is, and he said there, and I love that he said, I don't want to make this personal, and he asked him a comparison about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan played 15 years, six of those years he won a title. Nine of them, he didn't win anything. Are those nine years failures? So my overall question, it'll feed into you, Nick, is what do you define as successful or a failure? Because he even asked him, how many times have you gotten a promotion? Did you get promoted this year? No, then is your life a failure? And, and there, is, there, there is some truth behind that, right? I didn't get promoted this year. I didn't get promoted the year prior. Is my life a failure? But I've done other things that I feel uh, put me on the path to success. But again, success is subjective. Is it monetary? Is it where you want to be in terms of your career trajectory? Like, what is it that you define as successful? And I think neither guy in that conversation could define success for the other. Because again, back to my overall point, it's really subjective. So I look at it from the three parts of this, the journalistic question part of it, the sports part of it, and really the overarching life question. And I think I came away from it so appreciative of the answer but I didn't understand the ire of people taking it out on a journalist for asking a question that, again, Milwaukee Bucks fans are probably going to want to ask, which was, hey, we were favored and we lost to a team that barely got into the playoffs. What, what were some of your takeaways when you heard Giannis uh, give that answer to the journalist? Yeah, similar to you is a couple of layers to it that appeared to me. I mean, first, you know, my initial reaction to people who are unhappy with the question is, um, the journalist is in the same world that you and I are, Mike. Yeah, Mike, you are you are well known of the two of us of engaging with people um, you know, on social media that have sometimes not the most savory things to say about our show. And and something you and I talk off offline about is, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to criticize another person's program, their guests. Uh, we have people that you and I know personally that like to do this. And what I like to tell those folks is simply go grab a mic and RSS feed and create your own content. Leave me alone. So there's there's always an audience of people who are never going to be happy. That's just that's just how that is. You know, regarding Giannis's statement, it's funny because you played it just now. It's the first time I've actually heard him say. I read the transcript of it, and it definitely lands differently to hear Giannis talk about it. Um, you know, I the thing that came to me as you were talking about the Bucks and the championship from a couple of years ago is. 
you know, for a team that's successful and success in professional sports is yes, it's about winning championships um, or developing into a team that's going to be able to contend for championships. The bar is raised for Giannis's team. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example. So we're recording this on Sunday. Earlier today, Sacramento Kings, third seed in the Western Conference, lost to the six-seeded Golden State Warriors, Golden State obviously being last year's champion. As a third seed, do I look at Sacramento's season as a failure? Of course not. This is, this is the first time a team's been in the playoffs forever. So it's obviously it's a win for them, but it's a totally different version of comparison. You know, from Milwaukee, top seed winner two years ago, you ask yourself at that point, once you've tasted winning, once you've won a title, if your team or if your organization is committed to more championships, and it looks like Milwaukee has been just, I mean, if you sort of unpack the team or roster, well, the expectations are different. So when the journalists ask Giannis that question, it's coming from a place of, well, as a recent champion, like, how do you interpret this season? Giannis is getting into a larger conversation about what we define as success and failure. Now, I will always come back to this from the education world where failure is often hidden. It's often not comfortable to talk about failure. It's something we just tried to avoid. Um, I know the company I work for, you know, our second core value has the word failure in it. And many times when I've done interviews or people are in their first year, they talk about their experiences at the company, our second value of being open, humble, and, um, you know, being open and humble, right? Fail fast, learn faster. That is literally our value as a company. Um, people are uncomfortable with the word failure. And I've heard that multiple times, but it's important because it's important to own failure because failure recognizing it, the recognizing that you did not achieve your goal and there's an opportunity to grow from that is the opportunity. When Giannis downplays the concept of failure, there is a certain sense of avoidance. And that's that's something I've heard in education often, that we have different measures for success and failure is something we don't necessarily sort of come up with. And that's ridiculous. If you have a goal and you fall short of it, you have failed. That's it. And it's not a bad thing. Because on the other side of it, Giannis is absolutely correct. You're not always going to win. It's impossible. No one ever does. In baseball, no one's ever won 162 games, right? In the NBA, no one's ever won 82 games. It almost seemed as though Giannis was triggered by that word. And, and again, he's in a pretty raw place. He just lost the playoff series. And you're the first, you're the top seed against the eighth seed. Yes, Giannis, as much a fan I am of his work, um, that is a failure. You, you came up short. Um, yeah. I, I think about a team like the Dallas Mavericks. You know, 2011, they won their championship. They've never been heard from since then. And the question I would ask that team and their owner is, since that championship, has every season been since then been considered a loss or considered a failure? I would hope so. You've reached the mountaintop once. Is not the goal to continue to do that, to continue to achieve that. Right. No, I mean, like I said, I really think that it's multi-layered and again, it's all subjective. It all depends on what you define as successful and failure. But you know what? We'd love to hear from you. Email us, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. If you have a take, not only on what Giannis said about the overarching question, but even a sports take. Obviously, you know, Nick and I are both sports fans. We'd love to hear that and read those comments on air. Um, our thank yous again to Deepa Shivram for coming on the program. You can check out the video portion of our interview with Deepa over on our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hit the subscribe button for me and subscribe to our video platform, which, by the way, is taking off. It's so funny that we did the Giannis segment because in our comments, and again, last week when we had Rick Sanchez on the program, former CNN, Fox News, MSNBC host, who had a number one show and now obviously is not on TV anymore. Somebody wrote a similar comment about, oh, comparing Rick's number one show decades ago is like being the quarterback of a winless team. And I'm like, but he was successful. So it's so funny that that happened. We leave it there. Uh, our audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody who listens to us on Good Pods. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And to the person who decided to downplay Rick's accomplishment, you're a moron. But thank you for listening. As always, I'm Nick Saveri. We'll take the subscriber. I'll see everybody next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.